Christine Acheson can get out of trouble with more style than any citizen of the Republic, with the possible exception of Joe Page of the Yankees. James Reston of the New York Times, January 1950. If all that mattered in government were hard work, integrity, and intellect, America could have asked for no finer public servant than Dean Acheson. At 56, the Secretary of State made a figure so imposing, six feet one, with a determined stride, and suits as finely cut as Cary Grant's, that often his physical presence eclipsed the inner qualities that made him what he was. Sometimes the press seemed more fascinated by Acheson's mustache than they were by his foreign policy. As a student at Yale, he had roomed with Cole Porter. In retirement, he wrote books in exquisite prose. He enjoyed parties. He was graceful, witty, but also sarcastic, and he did not suffer fools. And yet none of these details, colorful though they were, conveyed the essence of the talents Acheson brought to high office. First and foremost, Dean Acheson was a lawyer, and a lawyer of a very particular kind. Americans see nothing odd in the notion of entrusting a lawyer with their foreign policy, given how many lawyers have followed Thomas Jefferson in leading the State Department. But it is not the norm in other countries, and certainly not in Britain, where the foreign secretary must be a career politician and sit in Parliament. Nor do Americans always appreciate how their lawyers differ from those of other nations. Dean Acheson was a case in point, a man who came armed with a legal training and philosophy with distinctive roots in time and circumstance. He took up the post of Secretary of State early in 1949. In his first nine months in office, his special blend of skill and experience served him and America exceedingly well. But the autumn would mark Acheson's high tide. After that, he would find himself in perilous waters for which his career had not prepared him. Hostile voices jeered at Acheson as an Anglophile because his father was an English clergyman and his mother was Canadian. The Secretary of State did sometimes show some nostalgia for the British Empire as it had been in the 19th century, with its navy, its financial might, and its commitment to free trade. Acheson also loved the countryside, not only the rural New England of his boyhood, but also the Maryland farm where he spent each weekend. Even so, he was indelibly a product of industrial America. Its values and its confidence set the mental horizon within which Acheson thought about the world. While his father was a bishop in Connecticut, his mother's family were liquor magnates so renowned that the press simply called them the Millionaire Distillers of Toronto. In 1917, Acheson married the daughter of a wealthy attorney from Detroit whose principal client was Michigan's largest railroad. As for his closest friend in the Truman administration, apart from the president, it was W. Averill Harriman, banker, investor, and diplomat, whom the communists in France depicted as the hatchet man of Wall Street. The two men had known each other since they met as boys at Groton, a school for the elite that Acheson loathed for its rigidity. There and at Yale, he studied as little as he could. It was left to the law professors at Harvard, which he entered in 1915, to awaken the mind of Mr. Acheson. They did so at a time when some of the faculty at the Harvard Law School saw themselves as the conscience of America, intent on correcting the evils of free enterprise run wild. It was the heyday at Harvard of ideas that later came to be known as legal realism. The gist of this could be found in the law review articles written by Acheson's mentor, Felix Frankfurter. 
They give us clues to much of what Acheson tried to do at the State Department. The task of the judge and the attorney, said Professor Frankfurter, was to settle controversies, replacing brute force by the rule of law. But in modern America, the greatest of disputes had to do with the rapacity of corporations, the squalor of the cities, and the rights of labor, women, and oppressed minorities. These disputes could not be resolved with old maxims culled from the cases on the library shelves. Instead, wrote Frankfurter, the lawyer had to study what he called the forces of modern society, that and economics too, and translate large words in terms of the realities of existence.